Hello, welcome to the Plus Future podcast with me, James Nepal Singh. Today, we're talking to Dexter Wembley, who is an independent curator and entrepreneur, and he has organized exhibitions and developed programs with galleries and institutions throughout the world. He's also a senior critic at the New York Academy of Art, co-founder of Art World Conference and Art World Learning, and in 2020, Dexter founded the Hayama Artist Residency in Japan. As usual, I set out the coaching ground rules before the conversation. Let's get stuck in. Dexter, welcome to the Plus Future podcast. Thank you for having me. It's really great to be here. What bump in the road can I help you with today, Dexter? Wow, that's a great question. There's so many bumps in the road. I, I think there's bumps in the road every day. So I guess you, you're talking about the big bumps. <laughs> exactly, exactly. It's funny because I'm the kind of person that tries not to complain about anything. And I know that's a different thing. You're not asking me about a complaint. You're asking me about a challenge that I'm dealing with. And I, and I think the answer to the question is, I'm a bit of a workaholic. I think, I think that's safe to say. And while that has its, um, its pluses in terms of getting an awful lot done, and I, and I think I get an awful lot done, the minus is that I'm not necessarily sure when to stop. <laughs> so I find myself filling in any, any gaps in my schedule, work schedule with more work, and I'm juggling multiple projects at once. It's just a byproduct of the kind of work that I do. But I find that even when I have a really big goal that I'm trying to accomplish, once I accomplish it, literally hours later, I'm thinking about like, what's the next thing I need to do? And certainly that may not be the best way to manage things. <laughs> so you've outlined two issues there. One is in your words, you're a workaholic and you don't know when to stop. When you have gaps, you fill them in. And the second one is you have big goals. And then once you've finished your goals, it sound like, sounds like you're looking for the next one to fulfill. It's true. I think that the feeling I get when I accomplish a goal that I've set out for is so fulfilling that I'm constantly thinking about the next thing that I want to do. But, but, but let me be clear here. Um, I'm not just chasing the the feeling of fulfillment that comes with accomplishing a goal, the goals that I've set out for myself and for my family are very meaningful and deeply personal goals that I believe are critical to not only my success as a business person, but also my livelihood and my ability to care for my family and my loved ones. So the goals are not just these personal ego-driven goals that I've set up, they're really tied to a bigger picture of success for myself as a business person, but then also the future for my family. Your goals aren't ego-driven. You're saying there's a bigger picture where you're not just chasing fulfillment for the sake of it. You're doing something a bit more meaningful. It's personal in the sense that it's success in terms of your own business and your family around you. To what extent do you have no clear plan and you're just being swept away with all these multiple goals? I think I have a very clear plan. 
What I think I'm challenged with is that I have multiple objectives that are working on very different timelines that have a number of different people involved in them. For example, just to be more clear, I'm an independent curator and I work with museums and galleries around the world to organize exhibitions. And those projects have their own timelines, their own budgets, their own teams and people involved. And I'm in many ways managing multiple projects of that nature at once. I'm also the co-founder of an online education platform called Creative Study. And I have a business partner and a small team that I work with for the company. And we are growing this business, which is a subscription-based business is focused on the business of being a creative person, the business of being an artist. I'm also a senior critic at New York Academy of Art, a non-teaching role that is focused on organizing lectures for the college and programming for the students. In addition to that, I've launched an artist residency in Japan. So those are four examples of things that I'm working on simultaneously. And so they all have you know, very clear plans associated with them, but it's a lot. You've got four. Uh, you're doing multiple exhibitions as in your role as a creator. The second one is your education platform where you've got a business partner and a small team. Third is you're a senior critic at the New York Academy of Arts. And the fourth is an artist residency that you run in Japan. By your own admission, that's a lot. What's the rationale behind doing so many things if by your own admission, it's a lot? All of them are very meaningful to me and very important. They, they fill different roles, different aspects of my life are fulfilled by those, by those different things that I just described. They also all fit neatly together into my uh, financial picture. I'm a father of four. I have a a son that is in his, uh, he's going into his third year of college. And I have uh, three small children who are six, seven, and eight years old. So needless to say, I have quite a lot of responsibilities (laughs) as a dad. I'm also a husband, so there's that piece of the puzzle as well. So I point that out to say that there's definitely a financial motivation for me to be working on so many things at once. And if I was a a single guy with no children, I might sleep in a bit more. (laughs) I'll admit that. (laughs) But when I say it's a lot, it's because I recognize that it takes a lot of time and energy for me to stay on top of these things. And thankfully I have a support system and, and, you know, having such a a wonderful partner in my wife who understands all that I'm dealing with and is very supportive. My family, my siblings, you know, they, they they're also quite supportive of, of what I'm doing and I have a good network of friends as well. So that's all very helpful. But after all this said and done, all of this works, because of the time and energy that I put into it. And I'm very happy with the work that I'm doing. Make no mistake, I'm very, very happy and fulfilled. It's just that I do recognize that this somewhat inability I have to rest is, is something that I want to I address. So 
in addition to the four roles there, you've added on two further roles. One is as a father of four children. The eldest is in the third year of college and you've got three young children, six, seven, and eight. And your role as a husband. And you say you've got a support network there in terms of family and friends and you're happy. There's nothing wrong with your life. But the issue that you want to address is your inability to rest. That's correct. It sounds like you have to keep on top of everything for financial reasons to support your family. Can I stress that a little bit? To what extent is that actually true? Well, it's very true. There will come a time in my life that I will have three children in college at the same time. (laughs) That is no small thing to think about in the future. And so I'm very mindful of that. And while I I don't live in the US any longer, I live in Japan, my um, children are in school here. I am not 100% certain where they will be in school more than a decade from now. So, So is it impossible? that we end up back in the US, it's not part of the plan, but anything is possible in the in the grand scheme of things. So I'm always thinking about their future as well and, and really wanting to make sure that I'm realistic about what it will mean to have three children in college at the same time, financially. There's a financial aspect that you're saying now is the driver for you working so hard and not resting. The issue that you raised to me is your inability to rest, which for me, correct me if I'm wrong, they sound like two different things. On the one hand, you're saying you literally cannot rest because you have to have the finances to support your children through college. But on the flip side, you're also saying you have the ability to rest, but you can't. There's an inability there. Which one is the actual one that you think reflects you? I think that Maybe there's a combination of the two, but if I had to, if I had to choose one, I, I think that for me, there's always the feeling that I could be doing more. And I think that because of how I grew up in terms of just having all of these dreams and ambitions as a young person and really wanting to see them through, I think that kind of like stuck with me. And so I've sometimes asked myself, if if I wasn't a father, would I work as hard? I think I would. I think I would. I think my motivations would be different, but I think I would. I think there's just something that has been instilled in me from my my mother, from my uncles and extended family, just seeing how hard they worked. And I think that that is just something that remains in my mind as I'm thinking about what it means to be a responsible person and certainly what it means to be a responsible parent. And so while I can take breaks, I think that the moment I realize there's things on my list that I haven't gotten to, then I stop enjoying the break. I stop enjoying the rest. I I start feeling like I need to just get back to it. You've mentioned the generational culture of working hard, of chasing dreams and ambitions. And from what you're saying, it sounds like Maybe that's ingrained in you so that when you do take a rest, I'm getting the impression there's almost guilt there that you should be working to realize this generational expectation that you should be working. I think there is guilt there. I think there's a certain amount of, I remember something my, my, my mother used to say a lot 
and not just her, I've heard that, heard so many adults say this when I was growing up about children and they would say, they didn't ask to be brought into this world. <laughs> right? So it's your responsibility to make sure that they're taken care of and your responsibility to make sure that they have a bright future, which you know I, I believe to be true. And maybe I've taken that to an extreme. And then the guilt, I think there's certainly some some guilt. I mean, just to really paint the full picture here, my oldest son was not born of my my current wife. So I had a very tumultuous relationship with my oldest son's mother when he was very young. And we separated when he was really, really young, like one years old. So, And I believe that the heartbreak that I felt about that never really left me And it made me double down on what it meant to be a good father to him, even though from time to time there was some distance involved. And I think that in some regards, there is this part of me that has this idealized version of who Dexter is as a business person or a creative individual, like this ideal that I have of like that I'm trying to live up to for myself. And then there's also this example that I believe I'm trying to set for my young children. But I think for my oldest son, it's a bit different because of the history that I have with how he grew up, meaning we shared custody between his mom and myself and a lot of like weekends with dad, weeks with mom, you know, that kind of whole back and forth thing. And I think now that he's older and we no longer have to do that, we have a great relationship. Thankfully, we've always had a great relationship and we have a great relationship now. I still think that it never left me. Those feelings never left. Being good at what I do or successful at what I'm doing is something that I just feel is so important for me because of what I went through. Makes perfect sense. You mentioned the word heartbreak there and you're living the ideal to have a good relationship, which you do have for your eldest son, and also set an example for your younger children. And you mentioned the word successful or good. How would you define those terms, successful and good? I think I'm already successful. I can say that and really feel that. I think I'm already successful, meaning my definition of success is setting out to accomplish something and accomplishing it. And in many ways, there's several examples in my life that I've clearly have done that, that I had an idea, made it into something that was real, not just real to me, but had an impact on the lives of others, a positive impact on the lives of others, financially positive impact, educationally positive impact. And I've been able to do that multiple times. So I do feel successful, but I don't always feel rewarded. (laughs) And that's that's a strange feeling. Feeling successful, I guess, should be enough, but it's not enough. We'll come back to that phrase you said there that you don't feel rewarded. I just want to home in on the success part for a little bit more. So in your own definition, you are successful. You've accomplished things you've set out to have done. You've made a positive impact. You've changed the educational landscape. How would your little children describe you in terms of a successful father? Because of the strange course of events of the past three years, 
obviously I'm talking about the pandemic and how it kind of reshaped how people sort of went to work or worked from home or what have you. So much of my time in the past three years has been working from home. When I talk about having a six, seven, and eight-year-old, for my six-year-old, that means like half her life, I've been working from home. And for a good deal of my other children's lives. So they see me all the time, as opposed to what would normally be getting up in the morning, leaving the house at seven or eight in the morning, and then getting back at six or seven in the evening, or maybe even later. And then my interaction with them may be relegated to, you know, bath time at night or the weekends. But it's quite different because they see me all the time. They leave the house to go to school. I'm here. They come home from school. I'm usually here unless I'm traveling out of the country. So they get a really good sense of who I am as a person, as opposed to the kind of relationship that some young kids have with their father, which is sort of like, oh, that's this guy who loves us, who like leaves the house every day. And we, we see him an hour a day and he, and he, and he makes mom happy. I'm, I'm really deeply involved in their lives. And so I think that their way of expressing their love for me is very clear. I think that they have no idea what I do, not really. And why should they at such a young age? They don't really get it. But I think that they're proud of me in their own way from the things that they say. The way a seven-year-old who doesn't really understand the world thinks that their parents are always the smartest, always the, the fastest, always the strongest, which is never true. <laughs> but I do get that from my kids. What do they see you doing? They see me having lots of uh, phone calls and Zoom meetings and reading a lot and writing a lot and um, <laughs> and talking to their mom about things that are going on a lot. And they sometimes interject and ask questions. So, so they, they see, they see the activity, but they don't necessarily, I mean, sometimes if I have an exhibition and they're able to attend, they will come to a show and they will see that. And that gives them a better idea of what that means. But all the other things that I do, they don't really know what they are. What do you think they want to see of you? Happiness. I think that's it. I think they're happy when they see me happy. I think that that I, that comes through. And moving on to your wife. What would she define as success in terms of having a successful husband? When my wife and I met, I was in a sort of like a strange place because we met just after the 2008 financial crisis, like maybe a year or so after that. And my business at the time then, so we're going back 15 years, we've been married for 12 years, but going back 15 years, you know, we met at a time where there just wasn't a lot of like extra money, right? So it was a very, very modest, <laughs> a modest courtship, as they say. We've built a life together over the past decade or so that is a reflection of us having a mutual belief in one another and, and a mutual faith in one another. But she has admittedly gone way out of her comfort zone in terms of the amount of risk that she's been willing to take. Risk as in business risk. My wife is Japanese, and, and, and this is not like a, a cultural generalization, but she didn't come from a very entrepreneurial family. I did. So when I think of starting a business or doing something, I don't really get too caught up in 
the risk part of it because I know that the risk is just inherent in doing anything. But for her, the risk involved in any in any venture is definitely one of the first things that she wants to sort of like dig into quite deeply. Over the course of the past decade or so that we've been together, I think that she would say that we have we have managed to make a very successful marriage and that we have found a great balance between taking risks but also planning for the future. I think that my wife believes that I'm successful as well. I don't even think that I know that because she tells me that. But at the same time, I also think that she realizes that I have this this thing in me that is about growth, that is about building and building and building. And I, I think she understands it, but we're very different in that way because culturally, I think that she would be completely fine if I just simply worked somewhere. I think that from, from her perspective, that would be totally fine. I mean, and just, you know, had a more standard nine to five situation. She's not trying to have me do that because she knows, A, it's not going to happen. But, but, but B, it would crush my soul. Uh, so, because I have so many things that I must do. What you're saying there, in terms of your family, from their perspective, you think they all think you're successful. So for your kids, the pandemic meant you spent a lot of time at home. So they go to school, they come back, but you're there. And they see you making calls, uh, discussing things with your wife, uh, lots of phone calls. They sometimes go to exhibitions. But from the things they say, the feedback they get or you get from them, they love you and they think you're a successful dad. Moving on to your wife, you had a modest courtship. You met after the 2008 financial crisis, but you believe that mentally there's faith there in your relationship. And you've taken your wife out of her comfort zone because she hasn't come from a traditional entrepreneur family, but you have. So risk is part of your digestive system. And in order to be successful, you need to take risks. And she's seen the growth mindset that you've got where you keep building and building. And you think ideally she'd want you to have a, a normal salaryman lifestyle uh, nine to five, but that won't happen because that would crush your soul. That's correct. And, and just to be clear, she's not encouraging me, nor does she make hints that she would prefer that. It's just that I think that that's what she's, to say that's what she's used to is probably not the right thing to say because I'm her first husband. I think that's what she's used to seeing growing up. Like that was the, that's what she was exposed to. So if you have a magic wand and you can create the perfect lifestyle that would suit everyone, what would that lifestyle look like? I think that there is a place that I can get to where I feel less concerned about the financial future of my children without getting to specifics on like what's the number, but there is, but there, there's a place that I think I could get to where I could then feel comfortable dialing things back in terms of the amount that, you know, the number of hours that I work every week. And I think if I had the magic wand, 
I would accelerate that so that I could feel a little bit less anxiety about the future. And here's the thing, I, you know, I, I think it's important to really frame things uh, because anyone who's listening to this is probably asking a lot of questions in their mind that I haven't necessarily answered. So I'm in an unusual situation as an American in their 40s, I'm in my late 40s, an American man in my late 40s. I don't have debt. I don't have the crazy sort of need to have some huge windfall for my life to get back on track or anything like that. I feel very fortunate to be able to say that. But because I'm a very realistic person, what I mentioned earlier in our conversation about my children and knowing that the time will come while I will have three college-aged children, I could always hope that academically they'll be fantastic and there'll be scholarships and there'll be all these things, but one never knows. One never knows. <laughs> You're financially secure in the sense that you don't have debt. I'm just going back to how this conversation first started. So you were saying that the problem you had is that you're doing lots of things. You have these four roles and it takes time and energy to keep up with everything. And the other problem you have is when you've almost reached a goal, then you go looking for the next one. Then the focus has shifted to financial stability and creating a financial future for your children to keep them successful when they go to college. So it seems to me the actual driver for you doing so many things is to create that financial stability. I think that's totally true. Because right now I don't feel that stability. And I think that concerns me. So you've got this generational energy behind you as well, saying you need to work hard to provide for your future. To what extent are you working hard as opposed to smart? That's a great question. And it's actually one that I think about often. I think that I am, I am working quite smart. It didn't happen overnight. It took me years to be able to craft the kind of structure for my life, my, you know, my business life, my, my work life that would allow me to do all of these things and have them all in some way connect with one another and not compete with one another. And to be able to scale the curatorial work that I do was not something that there was really precedent for. So I had to figure out a way to work smart. To work hard, but also work smart is obviously quite important. But that is something that I think about often. And, and, to, be, and to be frank, I do revisit that often to ask myself, even when I'm thinking about a particular project, or a particular pillar of my business life, I, I often come back to it and ask myself, am I being smart or am I just working hard? I do ask myself that often. So you've got the self-awareness to ask yourself that question. You keep revisiting it. What you're saying now, the, the main, main goal is to get as much finances as possible. So what would you cut back on and put that energy in another place if that is all you're thinking of, that main goal of keeping your kids financially successful for the future. So just so I want to understand the question, are you asking what aspect of my business life I would cut back on? You mentioned four things that you're doing, your four main things. So the, the curatorial work that I do, I love it. However, I didn't intend for it to become such a huge part of my life. When I 
set out to become an independent curator, it was really driven by this goal that I had to work with artists to help them advance their career in a meaningful way and to educate myself more about the art world. And as time progressed, I was giving more and more opportunities to work with artists, to work with galleries, to work with museums, to travel. I love doing it, but I think that it is so time consuming relative to the compensation that I think it is an area that I would probably pull back on and do less in because I think that it consumes so much of my time. And I think that that is that is an area from which I think I could claw back some time. What's your timing on clawing back the time from that and how are you going to implement that? Well, if I'm able to grow my online education business the way that my partner and I are planning to grow it over the course of the next 12 months to, to 18 months, I think that that's going to give me more of the latitude I need to dial back on some of the curatorial work. And again, I want to keep doing curatorial work. I absolutely want to. But instead of doing four shows a year, I'd prefer to do one. <laughs> We're never losing sight of the end goal, which is providing financial stability for your young kids who are going to go to college. On that basis, you're going to pull back on, say, four curator shows a year to one. And you're going to focus more of your energy into the education platform and grow that business with your partner in the next 12 to 18 months. That would be a great outcome because I feel that I would like to take some of my energy and turn it a bit more inward. I'd like to be able to spend more time thinking and processing bits of my life that I don't think I've been able to spend enough time on. And I think if I had, if I had a little bit more leeway in my schedule, I could do that. You used two very interesting words there, good outcome, as opposed to actually firmly committing to do this. What's getting in the way of you achieving what you want in your life? I think there are some things that are out of my control. Some things are in my control. And I've recognized that. And as as much as I am an optimist, I do realize that when one is involved in a venture that has several other people involved, the outcomes are not always certain. So I just keep that in mind. Say so someone comes up to you and they say you've got to do four shows in a year, but you you want to spend more time on the education platform. What options do you have to free up your time whilst still doing those four shows? Well, here's the thing. The curatorial work that I do, it's consulting work, really. So I don't have to take on any project. It's all based upon my desire and willingness. So nothing's compulsory unless I say I'm going to do it, in which case I honor the commitment and I see the projects through. But I'm in a very good position to do less if I choose to. I just, at this point, haven't chosen to. And I think that if I felt like my other business is exactly where I wanted it to be, 
then I think I'd feel more comfortable doing doing less things in general. Can I make an observation here? I'm getting pushed back because you're setting out your ideal life. But when I'm asking you how you're going to implementing it, you will say I've got the option to do it, but things get in the way. And I question the extent to which this is part of the generational drive and energy for success that's ingrained in you that you mentioned before. I'm still trying to understand what's holding you back because it seems like you do have solutions, but you're not willing to implement them. I think that's true. I think that right now, I I think that I feel compelled to work at the pace I'm working at now for quite some time. But I do believe that I need to figure out a way to feel more comfortable taking longer breaks from what I'm doing without feeling guilty about it. And I think that that's when you ask like what one of the hurdles or the obstacles, I think that's, that's one of the obstacles. How many people do you have in your teams on each of these four things that you've listed? Well, I mean, with New York Academy of Art, it's an entire faculty of <laughs> the school for creative study. It's me and my business partner. We also have a director of community engagement. And then we we work with a small, small team of freelancers for development, graphic design, communications, et cetera. Um, just a handful of people, about a half dozen people total. And then all of the curatorial work, for the most part, it's me. I work with different institutions who have internal staffs or galleries that have teams there. But generally speaking, I'm the driving force of those projects. Yeah, in many ways, I'm tip of the spear, as they say. What's the rationale behind that if you've got other teams in the other sections where you're working, but not that role? That is a really awesome question. Not so sure what the answer is, James. (laughs) Yeah, not so sure. I think that for the curatorial work, because it's so driven by these ideas that are my own, it's it's it sort of became more of a pattern. I think it's a pattern that I could that I could maybe take some time to think about that pattern. The curatorial work, just for those who don't know, it involves quite a lot of writing, quite a lot of research, and a lot of looking at art and making decisions about what work will be in a show and what will not be in a show. There are some aspects of that work that could be delegated. However, I've never done that. And maybe that's an area that I could consider looking at more carefully. And what would you have to do to look into it more carefully? I think it's about identifying people that I could trust to work with me collaboratively in those you know, in that capacity. And perhaps that may be why I haven't really tried to do that because the handful of people I know that I trust that I could work with in that capacity, they have more than enough on their plate already for sure. I know that as a fact. (laughs) So I would need to find others. So that could be one action point after our conversation then to try and find others or talk to people who might know where those others are. I want to go back to something you you said earlier about you don't feel rewarded. Could you just expand on that a bit, please? Well, I think that I've spent so much time 
in the past decade trying to get to just to kind of get to a place where I could say those words, like I feel successful with what I'm doing, that I haven't really thought about reward. I'm not quite sure what the reward would even be. I say I don't feel rewarded because I don't necessarily know what the reward is. Or even if I need a reward, I mean, when I say that, I'm not talking about financial to the work itself. I, I think maybe for lack of a reward, I just simply keep working. Maybe I, I sort of sort of reverse engineered it into, well, the work will be the reward, which which isn't necessarily a good thing because it just means that, you know, it's infinite work <laughs> with, no, with no ending. <laughs> that makes 100% sense. It kind of ties everything together. So I think this gets to the crux of what your main problem is. Seems like, tell me if I'm wrong, it seems like you're trying to justify why you're doing what you're doing. And the easy way I think you came up with it is it's a financial thing to provide stability for your kids. Because there's an outcome there that you can see it's quantifiable. What you just touched on there is not, it's something conceptual. It's, why am I doing this? It's a reward, but it's not a reward. I, I actually don't know what I'm doing, so I just keep doing more of it. And like you said, it's a spiral. It's a vortex that you can't get out. What's the danger of that mindset if you are in this vortex of working and working and working? I think one of the dangers for sure is that, you know, the t- time goes by. Time goes by and you, and you, you say, wow. Like one of the things I've realized in, the, in, in this decade of my life is how quickly five years goes by. Five years used to seem like a lifetime. And now five years just, it's almost, <laughs> I mean, you could say five years feels like two years. I mean, that's a, you know silly to say because that's all relative. But in a way, I think that's the best way to put it. Five years has gone from feeling like five years to feeling like two years. And that is a result of working almost every day because then you, you sort of time just, time just goes by. And I think that's one of the dangers of losing a lot of time. So essentially you're not living your life. You're just speeding to something that you don't know where the end thing is. I would say this 50-50. I do feel like I'm living my life and I do feel like I'm enjoying my life and my time with my family. But what I also feel on the other side of that, to the heart of what you are getting at, is that there's something that is missing in my peripheral vision is something that is is sort of speeding by on the, like I'm on this train and the looking out the window and there's things that are just speeding by and I need to figure out how to slow things down a little bit. Dexter, in this conversation, there's so much more we can delve into, but I strongly urge you to carry on this conversation because there's so much richness that I think can come out of this that will get solutions for you. Just to recap where we are and where we were before. Say at the start of the conversation, you were saying that you work really hard and you keep doing more work and you feel there's guilt where you do take breaks. You also have big goals. And then once you fulfill the goal, kind of look for the next goal. And then you're saying it's not ego driven. There's something bigger that um, you're helping your family, you're helping society as well. 
And the four main projects you're doing are the curatorial roles, the first one. The second one is the education platform with your partner. Third is you are a critic at the New York Academy of Art. And the fourth is an artist residency that you run. We touched on if you do actually want to free up some time, what you can do. And you said you're going to explore whether you can build up a team for the curator role because that takes a lot of time. And whilst you love it, the financial compensation doesn't really merit the amount of time given, considering your main goal is to provide financial stability for your young kids who are about to go into college. And ideally, if you do have the magic wand, you would spend the next 12 to 18 months building on the education platform with your business partner. And then we touched on success and what does success mean? And you're saying in your own definition, you think you are successful. You don't feel rewarded. And that's why we got onto the conceptual bit there, which I think that is a really, really juicy subject to explore in the next conversation if you want to have it. On your family side, you mentioned your eldest kid who's in college at the moment. The relationship's good, but you feel this urge to work and show an example of success for him because of the history you've had with him before. And you, are, you do have a good relationship with him now. And your younger children, they see you every day in the house because you're working from home and they do see you as a successful person. You get those data points from them when they talk to you. And it's obvious from what you said that they do obviously love you very much. And your wife, she does think you're successful, you think, but she doesn't come from an entrepreneurial background. So her risk appetite is less than yours. And ideally, you think she would want to have a nine to five, or you'd want to have a nine to five, but your soul would get destroyed if, if you do that. And that's just simply not an option. And it's part of the, your nature, it's part of your DNA because you do come from an entrepreneurial family that you do take risks. So taking all of that into mind, what would you say is the biggest takeaway from our conversation today, Dexter? I think this is one of the first times that I've sort of laid all of this out in a conversation that gave me an opportunity to sort of consider how I could reconfigure the structure of my business life, particularly around the curatorial work. And I think that what I'm going to do over the course of the next few days slash weeks is to really look at the architecture of all of this and figure out where I could make some changes to free up some time. And you mentioned taking some time out to actually think about things as well. Yes, absolutely. Is there anything else you'd like to talk about today, Dexter? No, this has been really fun. <laughs> <laughs> but it has been. I'm going to go completely out of coaching mode now. With your permission, do you mind if I ask what your heritage is? Sure, sure. I'm African American. My um, both my mother and my father are from the you know the South. My mother is Georgia. My father from South Carolina, but I was born in New York City, born and raised in in Brooklyn actually, and so I don't have um, a deep connection to the South, the U.S. South. But my older brother and sister they were both born there. But I, I'm I I consider myself a New Yorker, African American New Yorker through and through. <laughs> Excellent. So my cultural heritage is my parents are from Trinidad, 
but my, I did a DNA test and my, my DNA is basically a map of the old colonial routes into the West Indies, basically. The reason why I asked this is, have you heard of the NAP ministry? No. Check it out on Instagram. I will. I won't say any more. I think what you were saying about this generational need to work and that's a sign of success. I see a lot of resonance with the NAP ministry and I won't say anything more because I think if you, it's a really powerful thing. If you look on Instagram, I'll send you a link after it. And I think there's a book as well, but a lot of what you said today really does resonate with this project as well. No, I'd love to look into it. Thanks for the um, recommendation. No problem. So if there's nothing else, Let's leave the conversation here, Dexter. But like I said, um, I think a lot of the things you've mentioned might be worth revisiting again at some point. I think so. I'd love to do that. Excellent. So thanks very much for joining the Plus Future podcast, Dexter. Thank you, James. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for listening to what was a very rich and joyous coaching conversation with Dexter. I think he's got a lot to digest internally and think about and prioritize what he actually wants to do with his life and I think his own personal definition of success. I'll keep you updated on how his journey goes. Until next time, 